Daisy, Daisy, give me your heart to do. Heart to do? I'm half crazy, oh, full in love with you. Won't be a stylish marriage, I can't afford the carriage. But you look sweet upon the street, a bicycle built for two. Spoiler alert! <laughs> uh, Dave becomes a giant floating energy fetus at the end. <laughs> Welcome to Syndication, the only podcast that has never made a mistake or dis distorted information, even though it just distorted that information. To zero gravity, classical music, and psychedelic trips through time and space. This episode, we discuss this timeless... I can't talk today. We discussed the timeless sci-fi epic 2001, A Space Odyssey. I'm your host, Tyler Young, and I'm with three people this time. That's one more than normal. What? what? Except for that one time. Except for Forever that one time. Young. We don't talk about that time. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we talk about who are you, that Who are you? Uh, uh, I'm Got Devin Ellis. Hello, okay. everybody. Pep. I talked over it. Devin Ellis. Both of you talked over my intro. Yes. Hello. I'm Devin. Who's this guy? Hi. Hey. Intro. Hello. <laughs> I'm Dr. Matt Hayward. Uh, hey, where'd you blow me? It's close. Nah. To Haywood? Yeah. No, it was Haywood. Was it Haywood? Yeah. Haywood then. Uh, Haywood Floyd. Sure. Floyd, hey, would you blow me? <laughs> <laughs> who's, who's, this, who's this person who's with us again? Oh, I ruined it. I said again. Again, right. <laughs> the only other guest. <laughs> I'm Matt's wife, Jackie Smisloff Haywood. Mm. Oh. Wait, wait, Smith, Smith, what was it? It was that Russian guy who was like, hey, heard there's an epidemic. And then oh, okay. Floyd was like, yeah, nah. <laughs> but you know, something's going on for sure. Yeah, he was like, it's not that, but I can't tell you what it is. So. Smirsloff? And then was the Russian lady scientist is named Elena, last name withheld. <laughs> <laughs> Uh yeah, so let's get before before we get into like what the movie actually is, which is up for a lot of debate, which we'll do. What uh, movie was it, Tyler? The one I just said, 2001: A Space Odyssey. It's it like the second time times. you've done this in a row. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like I don't listen to your intros. It's like yeah, it's, it's almost like that. It's Not like quite, that. but it's close. <laughs> what are we drinking, me? Oh, I'll tell you. <laughs> They're called Space Odysseys, and they're delicious. Everyone's enjoying them. They're very good. I can see good. it on your faces. Enjoyment. <laughs> Lit up. They're good. Face. They're also very pretty. They have different tones of colors. Yeah, they look like going through a Stargate. Mm -hmm. They look exactly like that. What's yeah. in them? Uh, so there's uh, regular old Bacardi rum. Mm. Then there's uh, uh, coconut liqueur rum. Wow. Uh, Malibu in there. And then uh, pineapple juice, orange juice. And then a splash of grenadine. Everything else other than the splash of grenadine is a just one shot, just one part. It's all equal parts. It's crazy Great. easy to make, and it looks cool. It does look cool. Kind of looks like a tequila, a tequila sunrise in a in a way. So this, <laughs> so, so this movie, two thousand one, I would consider it a space odyssey. Mm, I think that's a good description. You know, so but. Uh, 
seriously though, I consider it kind of a horror movie in a way. I was thinking the same thing. It ends optimistically, I think, but it is scary. I was pretty creeped out watching it again, even as an adult. I've seen it 15 years ago, but watching it again. So I'm, I'm not even trying to be funny. This is very Lovecraftian. <laughs> God damn it, Matt! I don't, I don't see it, but sure. Let's just let's just do a quick rundown of synopsis, if Good I luck. can. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. A monolith from a um, unseen, unknown race of alien beings, um, biological or energy or mix of both, or uh, we don't know. Um, just super intelligent, uh, mysterious alien beings have left behind these tools these monoliths and there's three in the movie in the very beginning i just read what they actually are um but it doesn't matter you know they're 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 prehistoric like ape like creatures between ape and human they're not even you know tall yet don't know how to use tools and basically they they find the monolith and they discover how to use tools and then they we skip ahead millions and millions of years up until the year 2001 uh, or maybe year 2000 uh, and another one is found on the moon then we skip ahead another 18 months because the, the the second monolith sent off a signal to Jupiter and we don't know what's there. And so there's this uh, ship that's heading out there to dis- to investigate what's happening in Jupiter where the signal was sent from the second monolith on the moon. And that's pretty much where like the crux of the story happens. But it's really like kind of light and story there where on that ship we have like our B story almost in a weird way, even though mm. it's like the meat of the movie where uh, the ship is run by an AI named HAL 9000, uh, who was supposed to be like all the HAL 9000s were like error proof, foolproof. Don't make mistakes. Never record a mistake until this one does malfunction and starts to kill off the crew. Um, one makes it out alive and goes to Jupiter uh, on his own and just like in his uh, EVA uh, vehicle. Uh, and when he gets there, <laughs> finds a third monolith, which like just completely shoots him into uh, a whole new evolutionary jump. And now he's a being of like pure light and energy. And he's now the star child, which is every everything that happens in the last like half an hour of the movie is way up for a debate. But in my mind, it's it's very optimistic and it's, this monolith is, you know, like it gave us weapons, it gave us tools, and now it's giving us this next evolutionary jump, which they give us a glimpse of, but we don't really know what it is. And it's supposed to be ambiguous to kind of like let you decide what that is. But that's the movie. Well, yeah, last 20 minutes is a trip, dude. Yep. <laughs> it's basically. Sorry, go ahead. So, he, okay. he just shows up, and a, there's a bunch of lights and like crazy visuals. And then he's all of a sudden just in this very ornate room. And then mm. he watches himself age, sort of. And then he is himself and aging. He is himself aging. And then he is reborn, maybe, into this very light energy fetus thing. <laughs> yeah, who's just like, I see you, humanity. Wink. <laughs> <laughs> I Is it the same monolith or is it three monoliths? Three separate monoliths. Oh, I interpreted it as the same one because the music was the same each time. It could be. I mean, I don't know. I don't think it explicitly says one way or the other. Right. Kubrick, when he was writing this, had I forget the guy's name, but there was a guy that was also writing a novelization of this film at the same time, um, in which he had to be more explicit. And I think in the novel, at least, there's they even say the monolith in the aging realm 
mm-hmm. uh, was like a fifth monolith or a fourth monolith, Jesus. whatever it is. Yeah, like Arthur C. Clarke had written a short story called uh, The Sentinel, and that's kind of what this is based off of. But mm-hmm. then while writing the screenplay with uh, Kubrick, was also writing like a full novelization of 2001. And he's, yeah, he's way more explicit than Kubrick is. Kubrick wanted it to be ambiguous and kind of like offer interpretation. Um, but there are actually interviews that, that happened with Kubrick that weren't released until he died after he died, where he was a little more explicit and kind of talked about what it was that he had in mind when he made it, but he still wanted it to be like, it's up to you. Mm. How do you feel about it? You know? Cause it's, the way I view this movie, it's more of an art piece than a really straightforward just telling you a story. Um, yeah, I, I bring it up that. a lot, just like Matt loves fucking uh, uh, <laughs> Lovecraftian. Yeah, thank you. Storytelling. Yeah, this, this guy, this movie reminds me a lot. Like, I, I, I wonder if David Lynch has Kubrick as one of his, you know, uh, his inspirations because this felt like, especially in the last twenty minutes, it's very impressionistic. Like in that, in that really, uh, that baroque room in the future, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> that whole sequence felt like Lynch. You know, he's standing there watching himself eat food, oh, yeah, and then he is creepy. himself eating food, and then like when he sees himself, he like turns around as an old man and just looks at himself, and then goes back and then slowly stands up, and you're watching the whole thing in real time. That felt. David Lynch, like top to bottom, you know, and I was creeped out. It was creepy. The whole thing. Yeah, I was thinking that I was I was like, I was going to make a joke when I came on. I was like, this is my favorite horror movie because it's like (laughs) genuinely like it's weird and creepy. (laughs) Yeah. When he's going through the Stargate and they're showing like cuts of his face, like contorted freeze frames of his face. Yeah. <laughs> I was I don't know about you guys. I get freaked out about like um like the ocean and and space in general, like being above a planet and then like humongous like alien landscapes creep me out in a weird way because mm-hmm. you don't know what's there and they really played on that where they're like different colors and different like weird soundscapes with like industrial just like clings and clangs in the background and then like scrapes and and just vocalizations and warbling and weird the acoustics stuff. were crazy. Oh, it was amazing. Especially yeah. when he was in that room uh, at the end, there's just like weird yelling and stuff like happening, yeah. super echoey off in the distance. And where is that coming from? Me and you, Tyler, we have already seen this. Uh, but Matt, I'm really interested to know just like your first impression. I know we talked about it last episode. Blows my mind that Matt has not seen the movie <laughs> that Devin has. Uh, Jackie, you haven't. Have you seen this? No, I haven't seen it either. It's my okay, first time. So, so both of your first yeah. impressions. I'd be really interested to know because I was pretty excited for this one. I'm first. It was great. <laughs> cool. Um, no, I mean, I knew I knew I loved uh, Stanley Kubrick. Um, I've never seen a film of his I don't like. But you have, you, so you're already a fan of his work. Yep. Okay. Yeah, like, yeah, what, yeah. what have you seen from him? Uh, uh, Barry Lyndon, um, The Shining, Eyes Wide Shut. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the other big ones he's Strange done? Love? Sorry? Strange Love? Dr. Strange Love? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, uh, is Clockwork Orange him? Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, Clockwork Orange. I don't know. I can't think of any others off the top of my head. I've seen a bunch. I mean, he's great. He's uh, probably Lola? like... Lola? Uh, sorry? Lola? Is yep. like his first one? No. Was that him? Yeah. Oh, I yeah. think it's his first movie. And he also did... Uh, uh, shit. Vietnam. Um, um, Platoon? 
No, not that one. The, the That's other, way later. Yeah. The other bigger one. I don't know if I know. Uh, how do I? It's got what's his face as? Uh, oh, that guy. Is the guy in the jungle who's gone? It's based on uh, Hearts oh, of Darkness. Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now. Thank you. Yeah, Apocalypse Now. Uh, was that Kubrick? Yeah. I mean, it feels like a Kubrick movie. Yeah, yeah. it was. That's why I like that movie so much. Yeah. I, I'm a huge <laughs> fan of Kubrick. Um, yeah. My dad had a big old box set of like all of his movies, and I remember like just a couple of weekends, just like blasting through them all. I'm like, oh I was a God. yeah, I was a teenager, and I didn't quite understand everything I was watching, but I just went like. I don't know what this is, but I love it. My mind's being blown in ways I don't really understand. And now watching as an adult, uh, at least this one movie, like I have way more of an appreciation for it. But yeah, so how do you guys feel? Yeah, it's great. I, I, what I didn't expect, because I, like all the things that you pick up in the zeitgeist or just sort of like by cultural osmosis about this film, at least that I have, are all about Hal and the spaceship. And that's a third of the movie. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> which is weird. Like the whole Hal thing almost feels like why is this part of the movie even? Sometimes. Yeah. Well, I think it's a meditation on like what is humanity, right? Like, is Hal a living being? Is he human? Is is uh, is Dave human at the end? It's been said by critics, but like Hal felt like the most human character in this whole movie. Yeah. You know. I would agree. Although I I will say it's possible I just don't understand. Right. I took it to mean that Hal behaving the way he did was because he knew the secret about the mission was to go find the obelisk and that the three frozen people also knew that mission and that's why they were frozen so that they couldn't accidentally reveal it. They were specifically trained separately too. Right. And then frozen. So like my issue was, okay, fine. Hal is not evil he's just operating with a different set of information than the human crewmates. But then why did he kill the three people who were specifically trained to do the mission that he said was crucially important? I thought that only when they did the, um, like the recorded message after, after he had killed Hal, or he was killing Hal, Dave was killing Hal, that it, it said only the Hal computer and mission control knew what the mission was and they couldn't tell everybody, um, for their own safety or something like this. So the three that were frozen were called the survey team and they right. and they made specific mention of the fact that they were trained separately. So I think they knew. They did know, yeah. Yeah. But in the in the video did it say that? Not in the movie. At the end, I don't think yeah. it's spe- explicitly said, but like I did a lot of research afterwards and like they they did know. So Arthur C. Clarke, the the, the author of the of the original short story and then the the novelization and co-writer of the screenplay. He uh he went on, like, he was talking about how, like, his understanding of, like, Hal's motivation through the movie was that he was, you know, designed as a computer to, like, carry out every single task explicitly, you know, and not make any mistakes. But then he was told, hey, here's a mission where you have to lie about it to certain people and to not to other people. And that flew in the face of a lot of his programming and, like, screwed him up. And, and like, that was a glitch in the system. Like, you have to lie. Like, basically, like, you have to act like the government does. You have to be more human than you were originally programmed to be, and mm-hmm. it fucked him up. Um, that's interesting. So, like, by making him more human, they made him imperfect, right? And then, yeah. and it hmm. completely, it made him even more human. Where he's like, "Oh shit, life, I fucked up. Now I gotta like get rid of, like, cover up my tracks and get rid of the people that know that I fucked up." And he like killed them. And I really like that explanation because I wasn't entirely sure about Hal's 
motives. I mean, I knew he he knew about the mission, and I knew he genuinely he wanted that. That was that was an important thing in his program that he was set out to do. But I didn't fully get his motivation behind killing the crewmates, like Matt said. But I really like that explanation. I think that I think that's pretty valid. So that was Clark's explanation, right? At one point, and then Kubrick had a different one because there's the thing where. You know, Kubrick was inspired by that short story and then was working with Clark on the on the screenplay. But then basically once the filming and the whole production started, which, by the way, this movie took four years to make. <laughs> like a normal movie takes maybe six months. This was four years of everyone's life. I'm not that surprised just it looks watching like it. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's part of why it's such a masterpiece. You can see all of the hard work poured into every, every scene, you know. But... Kubrick himself, uh, in an interview in, in 69, said that Hal, um, this is in quotes, had an acute emotional crisis because he could not accept evidence of his own fallibility. As in, he already had an error, and he glitched out and thought that this one piece of machinery was failing when it wasn't. And it was, like, pretty benign. It was just like, oh, this thing's going to fail. And like, oh, okay. And then went out and checked it, like, nope, this is perfectly fine. And Hal's like, why don't we just put it back in and wait for it to fail because it <laughs> will. Cause I'm telling you because I'm foolproof. <clears throat> I don't make errors. This thing's going to fail. And they're like, this doesn't make sense. And then, uh, when they were reported bad to command, they're like, uh, I don't, I don't know. It must be human error. You know, like, well, they're like, no, no, no. Hal's wrong. This thing's fine. Put it back. And Hal's like, no, 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 that's human error. It is wrong. I'm foolproof. And the fact that like he, he couldn't accept that he made a mistake rattle his his you know his programming and threw him in, into a whack and then he just just lost it and just was killing people and just kind of i love that explanation more i think that makes more sense it makes more sense because you know working <laughs> with a ton of different you know automated systems and whatever like they fail all the time for whatever reason no reason any reason one and then, like this is one tiny glitch and that cascaded and just kept making more problems because it couldn't accept the fact that it had made a mistake in the first place because it it held 9,000 doesn't make mistakes. Mm. Isn't, I mean, I don't know anything about computers, especially compared to you guys, but Matthew's always telling me whenever I'm having computer issues um, that computers are stupid and you have to tell it exactly what to do or else everything's going to fall apart. And so for me that, I don't know. And it's, but it's weird to think of Hal as a human, but then when I, I was thinking at the end of the movie, why do I feel so much sympathy for Hal? Um, it's because he had the most dialogue of anyone in the movie, and he's a fucking computer. And yeah. like I, it's and he sings too. I mean, it's insane. <laughs> he's the only one that sings, displays any kind of fear, other than maybe Dave at the very end. But you don't like he doesn't talk about mm -hmm. it or anything. He just and the apes they looks. display a lot of emotion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, did, I mean, I don't know if you guys picked up on this. The only conversation that uh, Dave and Frank ever had was about Hal. Yeah. Literally did not speak the entire sequence until they went into that pod. That was like the the first sentence they ever said to each other was like, oh, there's something wrong in that pod. Do you mind coming with me? Right. So like there's something interesting about Hal having, or at least shown that Hal has more or better relationships than the humans do with each other. Yeah, like Dave's like, hey, look at these drawings I made. He's like, can you bring them closer? I can't see them very well. Oh, those are really good. You're improving. Yeah. You know, there's nothing like that at all between anyone else. They literally, the first scene they have together, uh, Frank is sitting there watching his, you know, iPad. Uh, and then which looked pretty good which looks, yeah. also can we just talk about like if you exist in a world before iPads where yeah. all you really have is television 
to think that you would have thought up iPads like I yeah. if if I were in a world before something like that all I ever would have thought is like just bigger TVs like <laughs> yeah. that's just a brilliant piece of world building that they basically thought up tablets did you notice that the ship uh, had an IBM logo on it <laughs> did it really yeah in the control center <laughs> I mean oh. that very first when when uh, when uh, Haywood lands on the space station before he goes to the moon and there's like a Howard Johnson's yeah. and there's the, the whole Hilton. it's called the Hilton Space Station. <laughs> I mean, it was like this a Pan Am. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> space flight. You know? It was like a real quick like anti-corporate culture dig before they went deep into, you know, fantasy sci-fi. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because you're talking about like the foresight of the of the technology in this. Originally, Hal was going to be a mobile robot that like mm. rolled around and taught and like did stuff like with with hands and, and, and feet or whatever. Um, but then Arthur C. Clarke was like, you know, this feels short-sighted. Like, this feels like this is going to be antiquated in, like, five years. Like, mm. what, what? And he really sat down and thought, like, what would an AI be like? Like, oh, it would take over everything remotely. Like, why would it need a body? It would just be the ship. And so they changed yeah. it to be just this ominous glowing red eye that just controls everything. And it's it still holds up today. Like, it's it's still my idea of what an AI would be like, you know? I thought it was amazing how much emotion they were able to put into Hal as a character just by showing shots of the red dot, you know, just like the the red eye of of his camera. Um, Because they just had tons of shots of just that, right? Which is nothing's happening. He's not even blinking or anything like that. It's just a red light in the center of the circle. He doesn't speak in anything but one tone. Yeah. He was great. Yeah. I'd be interested. Do you know who voice acted him? I I saw the name. It didn't. Mm. I didn't recognize it or anything. I just realized we never got your first impression. Uh, right. It's my dad's favorite movie, mm. and he's an engineer, so he likes really nerdy things like this. Um, I remember the first time I asked him about it, he um, he's such a nerd. Sorry, dad, if you're listening to this. Um. <laughs> He had installed on his work, his name is Dave, and he installed uh, on his work computer whenever, you know, whenever Windows, you click on something and it doesn't want you to, um, it makes that like sound. Mm-hmm. Um, his computer would say, I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. <laughs> I'm sorry, um, Dave. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Which is pretty funny. So that was my first, I, I just know it's my dad's favorite movie. And I liked it, but I found the lack of dialogue really challenging. I found it, I mean, in spite of, with all the great, fantastic classical music, um, I really enjoyed that too. But it's the same kind of, I mean, four, but really the same three pieces over and over mm. and over. And one of them, the lig- the one of the Ligeti pieces is uh, the monolith piece. Um, yeah. Is incredibly challenging to listen to. So <laughs> You mean the... the- it's not uh, the flight the of the Valkyries, but the, the that weird, creepy one. Or? So there's a ligety piece called Atmospheres, and then a ligety piece. Uh, it's I think it's the Kyrie from his Requiem, and then there's so there's those those two, and then Ligeti is a composer. Ligeti is a composer. <laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah. <laughs> and then he did the intermission stuff, and then I'll, yeah. Did he? Yeah. I, funny fact, he didn't actually know that any of his music was used in the movie until he was invited to the premiere and watched it. Went. Hey. <laughs> he also didn't love it because it was on the same film soundtrack as works by Richard and Johann Strauss. So he he didn't love that part. Um but then those two composers and uh, so Johann Strauss was the one who wrote the super famous waltz the mm-hmm. He was known as the waltz king of Vienna of the 19th century. He wrote a shit ton of waltzes. Um and he was Richard Strauss's dad. 
Um, even with all of that cool stuff in there, I just found it very challenging that there was so mm. little dialogue. Like there was so much that I, I guess that's why I liked Hal so much because I had the most information about who he was. And, and it, it's not that it's exhausting to draw your own conclusions, but it's like to constantly be projecting things onto people and onto characters when you don't know why they're doing the things they're doing, or it's just like shots of psychedelic light. I found it very challenging, <laughs> but I, I liked it. I just, I found it hard to it watch. It takes a lot of work. I, I remember the first time I watched this movie. So I've only seen this twice. Uh, first time was many years ago. Um, I did not like it. Uh, mm. I, mostly because of that reason, right? I was like, I don't know what's happening. I signed up for a sci-fi movie. Really? Yeah. I, didn't I like did it. not find the plot that hard to follow. Granted, I was a teenager at the time, right? And I wasn't, it's I don't not know. The plot. I just didn't it's, get into it, right? Yeah. I found the plot confusing because they would just establish these characters and then just jump and those are now useless you know what i mean like they do the dawn of man where you have this storyline with an apes and i guess the monolith is the only thing that continues but then you go into floyd and then he's just never seen again yeah and you're like what was that ringing sound when they touched the monolith what was going on and they kind of explain it afterwards but i mean it's all explained in in the film for the most part except for maybe like what exactly the monolith is right but they left a lot up to interpretation. I just found that challenging at the time. But mm. this watch through, I got so much more out of it uh, and loved it a lot more. I would recommend seeing it multiple times, I would say. I had pretty much the same thing. When I was a teenager, I saw it. I'm like, I, I liked it, though. I just remember going like, I like it. I'm not sure why. It just was really interesting and fun and kind of mesmerizing. Mm. But I don't really know exactly what's happening or why it's happening. And then now watching it, I, I understand it way more. I like I watch it. I'm like, I think I get it. And then kind of yeah. looked up, I'm like, I think I got it. <laughs> I did not get it the first time I saw this movie, no. especially the last 20 minutes. I was like, what? Yeah, <laughs> I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> like I enjoyed it. Like it's weird. I don't remember being creeped out as a kid. I don't know what it is, but I saw it, you know, t yeah. today and like freaked me out throughout the movie. They're like, I got a couple like chills watching Probably more it, into yeah. it. Yeah. You know, uh, what'd you guys think of just that opening? Like right when you turn on the movie, and it's just a black screen and orchestra for like three full minutes. <laughs> yeah. That was the, one of the Ligeti pieces, the one that wasn't as cacophonous, mm. um, called atmospheres. And I thought the television was broken. <laughs> we actually checked to make sure that the television <laughs> yeah. was broken. I mean, like you guys know, that's like the, like they did it in, um, Friday. <laughs> no, the other one that we the the second one that we love so much. You know uh, the one, Frank and oh. don't give a damn. Fucking that we love. Uh, Gone, oh, with Gone with the wind. Oh, uh, uh, you're sarcastically it's a, worst. It's, yeah. pick it's, a, it's a holdover ever from, from those kind of days where it's like, okay, let's have a whole bunch of music for a few minutes while everyone gets in their seats and settles in and starts the movie, and then they had an intermission with a bunch of music in between. And oh, I got what it was. Uh, I just remember the first time watching. I'm like, what is what is this? And I I also checked my TV and I was like, is this working? I don't I don't. Happening. <laughs> I was sort of wondering, I mean, so much of the uh, pieces of music were about their references to sunrise to dawn. I mean, it, it's no, no, probably not an accident that he said the dawn of man instead of the beginning of the human race or something. Mm. I wonder if it was just like the dawn of, of the, like, you know, the beginning of the movie that just takes a while to get going. I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know. But there, that, that, that could also work on a level too. Well, I mean, it's literally a holdover from the theater days. Is it really? And, and longer yeah. movies and stuff. Yeah. Tarantino so that, still does it sometimes. He, he does. did for the mm. film version of Hateful Eight. That he does you it live. Yeah, me. but he, he notated that it was an overture. This wasn't technically an overture, That's but I think it forms right. the same function. Okay. You know what this movie reminded me of a lot? 
uh, or I guess what movie reminds me Lovecraft? a lot of this movie? No, Matt. Uh. <laughs> uh, Interstellar, uh, especially the end uh, when he goes into the black hole and he interacts with fifth dimensional beings. And so they kind of create a I mean, place for him to. Yeah. I, having, having seen this now, I think Interstellar is just straight up ripping off. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of the same idea, right? I don't know. I just thought, thought it was uh, interesting because I didn't make that connection the first time that I watched it. The cinematography of this movie. Holy shit. Like, oh, my God. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. I actually, this is my one quibble. My one quibble with Kubrick. I hate the fisheye lens. Oh, Stop using it, it all the time. That was Hal's eye. That was his vision. Not always. There was one at the very beginning where it was um, the cockpit. in the cockpit. Yeah. yeah. That one was a little rough. I didn't notice it really that much throughout the rest of the film, though. It was everywhere. Well, it's I didn't notice it. Yeah, I liked it. I think it was on purpose for that mm. for that reason. Probably. Um, it's a sick skate video, man. Like the the effects in this movie, right? Like the floating pen in the beginning. Like yeah, we looked talked like about a real this. floating pen. Like there, there's no CG because that didn't exist at this time. And the movie is like still holds up today as in like an amazing looking sci-fi movie, even though it was made in 1968. I rewatched that pen scene. I was like, how the fuck did they do this in 1968? So they tried for months <laughs> to figure out that one scene. Right. And, uh, eventually they just went like, ah, fuck it. They, they put it just a pane of glass in front of the camera and two sided tape had just been invented. By the way. <laughs> yeah. So they just, Stuck a pen, yeah, just (laughs) taped a pen to a piece of glass, and then the stewardess walks up and just like and just pulls it off the glass and like hands it over to a guy. I assume they just floated the plane on strings or something like that. Well, yeah, they just like someone held it. It It's just a really big pane of glass, like um, cool, like uh, was it Raiders of the Lost Ark with the the snakes, and he's sitting in front of a snake, and it's just behind a pane of glass, and you see the reflection (laughs) actually. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. If you look hard enough, yeah. All the scenes where they're walking in zero G, like along the walls, yeah. when he's like doing that jog, and it's uh, a s- infinite circle along the outside of the wall. Uh, so cool. I mean, you, but, you know, it's just the camera moving with them, but like just the I way know. that the foreground yeah. isn't moving, but, but they good. are. Yeah, you can kind of tell when if you look at like their muscles and like how they're holding themselves that it's like a moving platform, but. I, I still think it looked really good. I liked when the actors were walking um, on with mag boots, you know, ma- uh, magnetic boots on the ground. But you know, that's not really happening. So they just have to like mime it. So they're doing this like, yeah, it was really yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, they were just called like grip shoes or something, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> white, white grippy boots. What were we gonna say, Matt? As is always the case when you watch a Kubrick film, like I love seeing. I don't know if that had ever been done before, rotating the hallway with a fixed camera. Yeah, I don't know. But um, like, he's, like Inception does that. Right? Yeah, there's that whole hallway fight scene. Like, it's such just a great inventive thing to do that worked so well, and that you can still see echoed in filmmaking today. And again, I'll say it for the millionth time, it looks so much better than CGI in uh, Inception. Like that whole sequence stands out to me because it wasn't just a CGI, just like plasticky shiny you know newness it was like oh that looked real how did they do that and because they did amazing (laughs) yeah like you know you know uh uh, smoke and mirrors you know how do we make this wall look like it's moving and he's standing on it let's just do that (laughs) there's there's an artistry there's a magic behind that when you just go like oh i programmed it in a computer like Mm. that is still artistry but it's a real like lackluster kind of soulless easy one to do in 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 comparison yeah Aside from just the general special effects, the shots with uh, symmetry that were throughout the entire film were just amazing. Mm. Like, there were so many scenes in this movie that I'm like, 
I could take a, a just a snapshot of that and put it on my wall. Like it looked so good. Everything with like at the end when the all of the planets are aligning, yeah. or when he's going to the moon base and it's just a, a, a top down shot of the clamshell thing opening with the right, yeah. I don't know what you could call that. Oh, with the the lander the coming through and then like all the red light inside. Ah, oh, that was so cool. So pretty. And you can see all the people in like tiny little like compartments behind windows as the thing's coming down. Like the sense of scale was amazing in the movie. That's part of what creeped me out about it was like just how massive everything looked and real at the same time, mm. especially when they're like flying over the landscapes at the end when he's going through the Stargate and they're all weird colors and this crazy, creepy music going in the background. Like it was freaky looking, you know? Yeah. Oh, green oceans just boiling over and stuff. Like, <laughs> I know it's just like a lens effect that they put on a camera and just. Flew over New Zealand or some shit, you know, but it, it looks amazing and it did freak me out. Do you know that uh, Dr. Floyd's daughter in the beginning, Squirt, uh, Squirt, that uh, was Stanley Kubrick's daughter? No, oh, Vivian I didn't know Kubrick. That. So cute, <laughs> incredibly cute, especially the bye, you know. The... Okay, sweetheart, now have a nice birthday tomorrow. Bye. Have a nice birthday party tomorrow, too, huh? Bye. Okay, now take care and be a good girl, won't you? Bye-bye. Happy birthday. I did wonder because she had a British accent and I knew he was... American. Hmm? Oh, Stanley Kubrick. He was American, but he, he lived in London, so oh, I, I think see. his, his uh, kids had... I think my father's character in the movie because he was American. Right, but his daughter had a, like a slight British accent. Yeah, she did. And I was like, well, that's weird. I wonder if that's Kubrick's kid. Like, <laughs> I actually had that thought. Hey, did you know... That uh, all the breathing in the movie that was like you know part of the soundtrack in a weird way that was Stan Kubrick, uh, uh, Kubrick himself. I did not know that he literally breathed life into this movie. Boop. <laughs> hey, <laughs> did you know that Stanley Kubrick had ninety tons of sand shipped to sets and then washed and dyed gray to make a moonscape? Oh my god, that was real? Ninety god tons. Damn it. They I filmed a real moon. Holy well, real moonscape, smokes, dude. A real scape that looked like a moon. moon. I could have sworn they would have done like a miniature. No, there was like a full on set that people walking around on with that real is sand. insane. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the thing about so I've only seen parts of a clockwork orange and Barry Lyndon. And the thing that bothers me about Kubrick sometimes is that is it Ku okay? Also, is it Kubrick or Kubrick? I say Kubrick. Kubrick. Yeah, I think it's Kubrick. Okay. The thing that bothers me Kubrick. about him, Kubrick. Kubrick. <laughs> it's an open uh. It's um, a Kubrick. 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 No, it's K Kubrick. Right. It's like yeah. cumin or cumin. What do you say? Cumin. I say cumin. Kubrick. The thing that bothers <laughs> me about the thing, that's the thing that bothers me about Kubrick is that I feel it's like eight. I'm watching. As someone who knows so little about film, I'm watching an etude, if that makes sense. Like I'm watching a technical, I'm watching a technical study of cinematography and filmmaking, which is very cool. And I see motifs and like he's so abstract sometimes that I'm like, yes, I understand these motifs. I understand what they, I understand the point. I feel like I lose the story and I feel like I don't, like I lose like a, like the pathos of it. And I... It's all so perfectly made that I don't quite know. It's like when I listen to, for example, some of the Ligeti pieces. I mean, they're brilliantly made. Like in the Requiem selection, he's using a technique called micro polyphony. Doesn't mean I want to listen to it. Doesn't mean I want to look <laughs> at the score. I mean, it's 
it's amazingly made and I'm not saying that you know the counterpoint isn't flawless I'm sure it's perfect but I don't know that the result is something that is gonna you know stir my emotions and I guess that that's why I go to film and I mean Matthew and I watched Barry Lyndon together and it was amazing I was I I thought the you know wow filming something like this using only only natural light I can't imagine that even now but at the end, I was sort of left feeling a little cold. Like, what's the point of the story? It was a four-hour movie. What's the point? You know, Kubrick has been uh, called a filmmaker's filmmaker. <laughs> I would wholeheartedly agree with that. Yeah, if you're not into the art of film and how it's made and all this stuff, you may not appreciate it, you know, for for just what it is. Because the story is secondary to what the movie is trying to I mean, it's you. not even that I may not appreciate it. I can appreciate it. But is that going to be what what as as an audience member every audience member wants something different out of something creative like a creative product yeah you can't please and is that like what i want mm, i mean i can appreciate it it's cool but i i know some people who and i kind of used to be this way in classical music where the math of it the puzzle of it knowing the secret meanings of things and what the motifs were was really it was a part of what engaged me emotionally and i just find i mean now it, i i I don't want that extra layer. I mean, I think it's, and also like I'm less of a visual creature when it comes to film and mm -hmm. you know, even when it comes to live theater, I'm, I'm less visual. I'm more into, um, I'm sort of what I'm hearing and what I, what I'm interpreting and like the story that, that is being told. I also think further to this, I mean, I think you could have picked up any, any 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 person off the street and he could have been dave right any yeah. person who can follow instructions and you need to go here and you need to stay it like this and and all of that it could have been any person so i just sort of and i i kind of felt that way about barry linden too and it's not that the acting is bad it's just that the direction is so much more important than what you know the the actors aren't important right is that yeah. like the per the, those well, individual character was very unimportant it's not really story. about them. No, it had nothing to do with Dave, really. Yeah. I mean, even Hal could have been anybody, and Hal is arguably the most important character in the in the film. I mean, I just find that the fact that the cast isn't important, and I don't think these were actors that, you know, probably were not famous. I mean, I don't, I didn't recognize any of their names. Yeah, me um, it doesn't bother me, but I just sort of wonder, like, what if you had gotten an actor who came in with a point of view? Is that I, I, I do wonder I as a performer. I think it would have taken away from the point of the movie. I mean, maybe it also was not what Kubrick wanted. Like, he wanted yeah. to be the person in charge of that, and like that irritates me. <laughs> I mean, that's what as I, a performer. That's what I like about what you said earlier. I feel like it's more of an art piece, yeah. You know, than anything else. Uh, and I think if you go in with that mindset might get a little bit more out of it. Like, if you just turn this on and be like, I want some entertainment, I'm going to watch a movie. If you, well, yeah, it's not even it, that I want entertainment. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's just like a different aesthetic, like, desire or expectation. And it's not mm. that this isn't good and, and I'm not appreciating it, but it's just that, like, and also the it's length. People complain about opera. I'll tell you what. Two and a half hours to four and a half hours for some of these Kubrick films. Golly, it's the same damn thing. <laughs> It's the same damn thing. Well, I mean, I think film is like inherently more voyeuristic than than many other art forms, right? It's by its like, very nature. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like it's just the nature of the medium that he's embracing that it's I mean I I think he, he's taken it to the nth degree. This is this is me projecting, but I assume I mean he is well renowned for being an intellectual. 
Mm. Um, and I'm going to project onto him that I would hazard to guess that he felt isolated and lonely for most of his life. Because He's been called cold and distant. Yeah, all of his films yeah. are this way. Um, and I don't think... I don't have a problem with it because I think it's a really valid way of seeing the world. Mm. I think he's communicating a worldview with a lot of expertise, with a, with a lot of talent. Um, it's just like that's his voice. Right. What we saw yeah. it, like a very pure form of like what he wanted to say. I think it's valid and it's obviously incredibly important to have in the canon, to have in as a part of like artistic discourse. I'm just saying that I wished the one little scrap of emotional connection that I had was with Hal. And it also yeah. like, it, it kind of overcooks my grits that he was a computer. That's the most emotionally engaged that I felt. It makes yeah. me a little upset. Right. And the little Mission girl. accomplished, and Kubrick. The yeah, like, that, <laughs> that's the point. I feel like you're missing the fact that that's a, accomplishing the goal that he set out to do. Like you said exactly what he was like, yes! Like in his grave, he's like, got it. Now I got another one. I, I mean, will amend <laughs> it. I did feel a strong connection to his daughter. So maybe it was sort of like, you know, <laughs> For her six of one, two lines of dialogue. <laughs> She's so cute! <laughs> all right. Bye-bye. All right. But all jokes aside, this is why I was saying I think there's some Lovecraft in this, is that it is... <sighs> No, no, seriously. It is a cold universe with great intelligences that we can neither neither comprehend nor understand. And it's it's like it's it's cold and heartless. The universe is not a kind place. It does not care about us. Well, then why are the aliens helping us? I don't know that they did. Neither do you. That's what it feels like to me. Anyway. That's what it feels like. It, it felt optimistic, like but, the entire movie by the end. I, I agree that that's how I interpreted it, but but I'm saying, like, we don't know that. We can't understand what happened. That's the point. Did anyone get, like, a weapon vibe from, like... So, the hominids... What, what did we say they were? Early man. Early man yeah. found the monolith and then started um, uh, using, you know, weaponizing things that they found. And then with Haywood, I don't know what the... there was There wasn't a weapon element there, but I'm wondering if, like, the radio signal was some sort of, like... I don't know, electric weapon. I don't know, something like this. And then with the satellite later, I was just sort of wondering, I mean, this is all happening during like the Cold War, right? I mean, is there like a nuclear element there with like, I don't know, There's there seemed something. In the book there was. Okay. And the star child destroyed all, there, there were nuclear devices orbiting the planet in, oh. in this version of 2001, you know, the time 2001. Right. Uh, their, their retro futuristic view. So they're, they're, they're orbiting weapons like ready to destroy the world you know for and they're all owned by different countries and like oh. okay so it's you know mutually destroy uh, assured destruction so everyone's just in a stalemate constantly but the star child is now born at the end and it blows them all up without killing anybody and it's like this dawn oh, of a I new see. age i mean in the film he specifically has friendly like those people on the space station could have been any nationality he chose russian for a reason yeah he did so like i I don't know that I read it as a Cold War movie. No, not I, as a Cold War movie, but I'm wondering, like, that was the time when he was making this. I'm wondering if some of that leaked in. I don't know. I, I feel mean, like how do you avoid it, that? I feel like if it leaked in, it leaked in in such a way as he was making the point of, like, this Cold War is pointless. Eventually, we're all going to be friends in an international space community. Fair enough. I just interpreted the monolith as sinister, for sure. I mean, the soundtrack would imply so. Mm. But I, I think th that the the monolith. And it was. Don't forget the music associated that with that was a requiem with it, which is a death mass. <laughs> FYI. I mean, I think the monolith. I mean, if we're you can interpret it a couple of different ways. I mean, I've always understood, 
or at least recently I've understood that there's two primary ways to interpret the film is one where they're godlike creatures and the other one where it's just aliens that are beyond our scope of understanding. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the difference? Hmm? Well, what's the difference? Wouldn't that be godlike? Yeah, there really isn't. Uh, I guess you could just interpret it yeah, more more religious centric or more sci-fi centric. Oh, like literal gods. Yeah, literal yeah, okay. gods versus godlike creatures, and and either is so beyond our scope that we really have no way to distinguish the two. And I think that's kind of the point. Uh, Could also in a be way. like a natural phenomenon. Mm. The, what the monoliths? Well, they explicitly say it isn't in it. The, it they was, say they think it isn't. It was buried. You know, that's what it looks like. But what I'm saying is nothing in nature is that perfect looking, you know, like I'm I'm saying, well, no, that's not true. There's all sorts of fractal Fibonacci sequences all over nature. Nature is surprisingly ordered if you get a large enough scope. The human body is a miracle. (laughs) It's not. (laughs) That's gross. Um, My point is just that, like, I, I think it's. I think trying to pin down the details is missing the point. Yeah. But I think, I think so too. I think if it's interpretive, I think you're allowed to have your own interpretation yeah. of it, right? Like what that, I think you can pin down those details for you as long as you understand that it's going to be interpreted differently elsewhere, right? So I feel like I got a much more direct message out of this through this watch than I did last time, but I don't think it's necessarily going to align with what anyone else thinks. And I think that's a mark of a good gripping movie where it's it's the whole entire point of his existence is to get you to feel something deep and complex and 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 conflicting maybe you know and and to cause these discussions right here that we're having you know like so i think like the movie succeeds did you feel things in this movie oh yeah what did you feel i'm really curious scared (laughs) so like the the ominous tones and like this the scary nature of like the monolith right when the the apes first see it and they're like what the fuck and they're like they're like all sitting around it and like don't know what to make of it and then they slowly kind of come up and touch it and they back away and then they touch it again and then then they're like yelling at it and then they're all excited because they like have some weird enlightenment i think that's kind of how humans are i think that's how people are when they're faced with some new like mind-blowing kind of like paradigm shift where they're like holy shit like there's a lot of people who can't accept it and they're like no 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 no. this is too new this is too dangerous we can't this is a slippery soap we can't go this way and then but eventually it just becomes a new paradigm and then you kind of go like remember those people who are like mm-hmm. we're like the movie itself when it came out like a ton of people like this is boring this sucks why was this made this is a failure and then you know like 10 15 50 years later now people are like this is one of the greatest movies ever created i think it's that kind of thing where like something comes out and it like flies in the face of what you know and it's scary and it, and it's like what is this like big black mark in what i thought was a clear sky like this is mm-hmm. way different and, and creepy from what i'm i'm used to so I think it's But how did you feel? What did you feel in the that, movie? That like I felt like that is scary. Like holy shit, like this this completely alien thing has just shown up in my world and is like disrupting everything and is making me think and feel things I've never thought and felt before. Like it's scary and it's and it's exciting and then you you get that kind of like power rush of like, oh but now I can use these things, I get these tools, I have this knowledge that I can use now and it's scary at first and then it becomes more hopeful and like we can do something with this. Wait a minute. Well, how, you know, the things that we were doing before maybe weren't the best way to do them. Why don't we do it this way? So it's like, I kind of felt all that. Like it was, it was scary because you, you as a viewer don't know really what's happening and you're watching people who don't know what's happening 
Um, but then it's hopeful at the end and, and everyone kind of like, oh, and kind of gets over that initial shock and kind of accepts this new, better way of living, you know? And I think that's what the star child is, where it's like floating over the earth, which is, you know, a messed up, you know, complicated place. And it's kind of going like, bing, like, well, we got a bright future ahead of us. You know, the sun will rise on this new planet and this new earth with, you know, whatever the star child is going to bring to it. I didn't I interpret it as optimistic. I interpreted it as definitely a change, right? An evolutionary change. I mean, I interpreted the uh, monoliths and this alien or or other dimensional uh, beings that were um, communicating with humans uh, through these monoliths as kind of like old gods. You know what I mean? It, yeah. Exorbitantly powerful, but not necessarily good. Are you serious? <laughs> What? Do you know where the term old gods yeah, comes that's, from? That's, that's straight from Lovecraft. <laughs> <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> Funny thing I is... I jump like, in with the Lovecraft. <laughs> Matt, when you said it, I'm like, yeah, I kind of agree, but I wanted to make fun of you. So. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, they're not necessarily good, right? It's not necessarily hopeful. It's just, uh, it's just inevitable change that's happening. The unknown is scary. But you the unknown is scary. You are describing cosmic horror. Lovecraft's whole thing, what made Lovecraft... First off, Lovecraft was like a horrible racist, and we should all just say, like, I'm not a fan of Lovecraft. I just think cosmic horror is interesting. Well, you're separating the art <laughs> from the artist, right? Right, right. That's yeah. what I'm trying... I did, like, I've brought it up enough times, and it's been a funny joke, but, like, just to be clear... Yeah. Um, that Matt's a racist. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> like, oh, they've his, been hearing it for a while. Please edit now. this out, Tyler. His whole thing was, like, the old gods weren't malicious. That would be, like, humans feeling maliciousness towards ants. Right. We are ants. They don't care about us. The universe is inherently cold and uncaring about us. See, I think that's the difference. I think these other beings do care for us. Sure, sure. That's And that's what I'm saying. But to Devin's... Not, sorry, that's not what I'm saying. But to Devin's point, it doesn't point. have to be good to be... Like, what he's saying is it's not good or bad. It's just something different. Ineffable. It is ineffable. Well. You can't F it. <laughs> <laughs> You were saying Devin. <laughs> hey, did you know that uh, the song at the end that Hal sings when he's dying, uh, the the Daisy Bell song, uh, it was the first song ever to be programmed into com- into a computer to be playback using speech analysis hmm. back in 1961. The first one ever. Yeah, and then you know the line "I'm half crazy" is in it, which fits to Hal's you know demeanor I like that scene because because when uh Hal asks if uh he can sing the song Dave almost has like this shift where he's like it's like it's okay just go to sleep right he almost I felt like some sympathy coming from him almost. He, I, I felt like he was doing this thing like yeah sure go ahead tell me about the rabbits tell me one more time about the rabbits <laughs> with the gun pointed <laughs> the back of his head like yeah like <laughs> like, like putting putting down something that you you did spend a lot of time with I mean he was on that ship for a while supposedly right uh, and he did build up some sort of relationship with Hal. I mean, they explicitly said that he was programmed to act like he has emotions, right? Mm-hmm. And he does that flawlessly. Whether or not those emotions are real is in question, right? Even I think the they creators. said that too. Like, oh, he's made to reproduce human emotions. Or some would say mimic. So they're like, mm. Yeah, and we don't really know. Yeah, And I think that's a really... That's such a valid question, even today with modern AI, right? Like, there's no way to know, right? I think right now it's too rudimentary to say, like, is it alive? You know, but I, but I just mean like that's that question is is I don't know if that's ever going to be answered, right? Even if we make full 
human level AI, right? How do you know it's not mimicking? Well, I think what's interesting, right, is that the movie, the entire arc of the movie is that we as humanity take a great evolutionary step forward. Yeah. Um, but we had already created something better than us, arguably, right? We all said he's the most human, the most that we all connected with. Um, in the movie, they explicitly say that his intellectual capabilities are far greater than that of a human's. Um, and then they had a tantrum. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, there's something interesting about the idea Which is that, very human. Yeah, there's something, like, our child uh, was already greater than us. Yeah. And then we killed him. Because he had a hissy fit. We shook the baby. We were like, yeah. go to sleep. Stop it. You know? <laughs> the hissy fit was killing the entire crew. But right. I get I your mean, point. Yeah. <laughs> I do like I think the, there were limited options in that moment. I think my favorite part well not my favorite part, one of my favorite parts of the movie was what was Hal trying to like go through the different ways of reasoning with this human to not kill it. Like, oh, you know, really sorry about that. I'll I'll be good now. I'll be good. And, and then, then he just says, Please stop. Yeah. Don't <laughs> and then he just says, like, I'm afraid like a whole bunch of times. Yeah. yeah. Which is I felt weirdly bad, but also like this is also creepy too. Like is this just a, a defense mechanism? Like, is this an, is it a, a possum playing dead? Like, it's not really dead. It's not really caring or actually afraid. It's just like, this will, you know, appease the human part of the brain that's like, mm. oh, maybe sympathize and not kill me. I also love that scene when Dave has to make a jump for it through the emergency. Oh, that was great. <laughs> He's just like, all right, we're just going to blow the door and just hold on tight, I guess. So Kubrick, uh, um, uh, like, he initially wanted to cut that scene because he wasn't sure that any human could ever survive in space without a helmet I at all. I don't think you can. You can. You can? You can. Because um, it's more about temperature and lack of oxygen. You're not going to, like, explode or implode like people show. Yeah, it doesn't happen. Oh, I know it's temperature, right? But wouldn't wouldn't isn't it so cold that you would? You can last maybe like a minute. Like it sucks all the moisture out of your face. You know, like like he is in way better shape than he should have been. Like you're you're gonna be fucked up, but like you can survive like a minute in space. I think. Hmm. Interesting. You can hold your breath and like go out in space and make it to the other side. You're not gonna be in good shape at the other end. You may end up dying anyway, but like a human being can survive it. Yeah, I I I would think that you would get like burns and shit. Oh yeah, probably temperature. Um, and that's like basically like NASA scientists are like, no, that that could happen. That that could that could work. And he's like, cool. And he kept it in the movie. Like, sure, all right. <laughs> Have they tried it? <laughs> I don't think I so. Think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we would have heard about that. I don't know. <laughs> we should test that. Um, Hold your breath. <gasps> maybe some secret animal testing where they shot some out in space and didn't tell anybody because they didn't want to freak out. I don't know. Yeah, they probably shouldn't tell people. <laughs> probably just like black holes. They just like, yeah, with math, we know that a human can survive out there, but let's not try it. <laughs> uh, did you know that Kubrick tried to take on insurance policy on this movie um, to protect any losses that may incur if intellectual uh, extraterrestrial life were discovered before the movie came out? You've not, mentioned this before, right? Not only did I know that, I said that on this very podcast several episodes ago. Oh. It was Matt who mentioned this before. <laughs> That's so you what did I'm know. thinking of. <laughs> Matt fact. Answer? Yes. You did. A macked. <laughs> nope. <laughs> okay. So, let's get down to ratings. I got one thing to say real quick. Uh, do you guys know, uh, did you guys catch when Floyd was on that spaceship traveling either to the space station or to... I think it was to the space station and he goes to the bathroom and it says zero gravity toilet instructions. And it's just so like good. 
like five paragraphs of like 10 different steps hmm. how do i <laughs> pee just let me put on my reading inquisitively glasses. <laughs> looking at it like hmm <laughs> will i be sucked out into the cold vacuum of space <laughs> <laughs> i just thought that scene was really funny it was real quick but i really love it all right so what now you, we can do ratings what, what, Devin, let's start with you what, what do you think oh uh okay so um as i've mentioned i i've seen this before uh and i wasn't uh, crazy about it the first time that i watched it um but I think it was just because I didn't get it. So I went in knowing that there was a lot of silence. There was a lot of just orchestration. And you prepared. Yeah, I was prepared. And, and I wanted to get more out of it. Because I've been wanting to watch this again for a while. And, and go in with that mindset. And, and view it more as an intellectual piece or an art piece or something like that. You know. Yeah. Um, and because of that, I liked it a lot more. I feel like I really appreciated it for what it was supposed to be. Um and with that context, I think I'd give it an 8.7. All right. Which 8.7. feels low in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, I, I agree with a lot of the points that Jackie made. Uh, uh, it is slow and it can be, it can be tough to get through. Um, but, uh, but I, I still, I still really liked it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's a movie just to watch. It's a movie to sit down and experience you got to really invest yourself trip, into it man. yeah it's a trip <laughs> so i'm just going to do mine because mine's going to be unremarkable i feel almost the exact same way that you did i saw it when i was a teenager didn't quite get it i enjoyed it when i was a teenager but didn't really know why i didn't have like a deep appreciation i was like that was crazy wow what a great movie um but now watching as an adult uh and again like being prepared for the the lengthiness and the, the lack of dialogue yeah. and all that and and having more of an appreciation of just like kind of art house films, even though it's not an art house film, you know, it's it's, it's a piece of art. It's kind of borderline. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, and being a big fan of like David Lynch and stuff like that, like uh, yeah, I have way more appreciation for it. Uh, I'm gonna give it uh, I'm gonna give it an eight point five, I think, out of ten. Um, again, because I think it's only bought down by just the sheer length of each scene, even though. I appreciate the lack of dialogue. I appreciate like being in those moments where like things, but like, I don't need to see the entire maneuvering of like a, an EVA, like, and like getting into a, in a pod and then docking. And like, I get what's happening. I don't need to see the entire, like mm. five minutes of it, but I don't think it took away too much of the movie to make it like a bad one or anything. Yeah. So it's still way up there. So you say that, but it wouldn't be the same movie without that either though. You know? I'm I'm talking about just like same scenes, just trim it just just a little bit each <laughs> just one. Just a hair. Know? Yeah, just a hair. Just to cut it down to like maybe two hours instead of two and a half, you know. All right, guys. Which one of you wants to go first? Should I should I go first since you're Um so with a caveat that I cannot remember what I gave Citizen Kane. <laughs> uh, so like maybe it's up there. this is why i ask right or why i have that caveat is that i want to give it the same thing as citizen kane okay i think it was a nine five so i'm giving this a nine five Seriously? Hmm. i want to say it was yeah it was either there or a nine yeah one of those two and and both feel right to me okay um why? <laughs> because it's amazing yeah because it's amazing this is a this is like a perfect movie what you're, <laughs> you're just objectively wrong. I'm not objective. Right? Like, the like, reason mine's not a 10 out of 10 and an 8.5 is personal enjoyment. I think it's a perfect movie, really. The, the, I have no so what is your what is your scale? How, okay, sorry. Let me so, no, no, no. What Hold is your up. scale? How are you grading it? Is it kind of subjective? Is it a little... like what Do you have like a... I'd love to tell you. Tell me. <laughs> um, 
I think form and function are married perfectly, right? So you complain about slowness. I say it's deliberateness. It's to make you think. It's that everything feels drawn out, feels solemn, feels thoughtful, deliberate. Um, it feels cold, but hopeful. It feels... Um, I mean, it doesn't feel anything. It's a movie, to be clear. <laughs> you feel that Matt upon watching that. it. <laughs> it conveys, to be clear. It conveys sorry. a sense of Is this a thing we do now? Do we <laughs> jump in and interrupt each other's uh, ratings? Hashtag marriage. <laughs> No, it's it's perfect. It's it's it, everything that you guys complained about. You're wrong about <laughs> because those are strengths of this film, not weaknesses. So why did it not get a perfect ten? I am uh, philosophically against that. Yeah, we did a whole thing on this like two episodes ago. So this is a ten for him, but he's not going to give it one. I see. Matt's scale is different. It stops at nine point five. He's giving it a one out of nine. No, a zero out of nine point five. Yeah. basically. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> He also gives zeros, by the way, sometimes. One time. I would give negatives if I could. <laughs> but I'm What's philosophically against negatives. <laughs> I'm owed a movie. <laughs> I'm going to give this movie a six and a half. Okay. Because. What? <laughs> Brutal. Oh, my gosh. Let me interrupt you instead of letting you give your explanations. I mean, you didn't really <laughs> give an explanation. You just reiterated to the, that it was perfect with one example. I don't. Cinematography. Perfect. The the score perfectly evoked what it was trying to evoke. What like I don't know what else you want from a film. It's <laughs> thoughtful. It's complicated. It's um it it it's a conversation piece that that you know exists on the same level as is like a classic novel. It, it, it's it's perfect. I don't know what it's else. It's also you want. a classic novel. I mean, I want to feel something <laughs> when I watch a movie about the characters and what they're doing. It's see your like plot is. A small piece of what makes film. Not plot, character. Same thing. Ugh. Small piece. The movie small is the characters piece. that I was watching, yeah. not really the people in it, per se. And also, the characters are irrelevant. That's the point. Yeah, that's why they're not talking very much. Like, <laughs> the universe is huge and vast and beyond our puny ability to understand. And like those individual... Why do you think they kept changing the cast? Because individual humans... Are, are interchangeable. The only person that we end up following for any real length of time is the star child and the story of how he became that. Or really the monolith itself. Like really? human yeah. evolution itself, you know? It's a story about the universe that just happens to have humans moving around inside of it. But how does that make you feel anything? <laughs> I don't understand. I, 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 a a look, sense of wonder? Look, maybe, of maybe I went to this, you know, it's like going to a fucking i don't know penderecki threnody and i was expecting brahms for right you can't go into that oh, you know yeah. you, you can't know what you're talking okay. about I, I'm on the you same can't page go to uh you can't go to a restaurant right mm -hmm. expecting delicious homemade gnocchi when no. what they're what? giving you is beautifully made sashimi right like it's a different payoff because that's and they're both delicious. See, the Wait, problem's still the on you. Fault. <laughs> like it wasn't the restaurant's fault. You went in not with the expectations. So it, I'm not. And it's not about fault necessarily as an audience member, right? I mean, no, it's about fault. It's not about fault. <laughs> you tried to make the film something that it wasn't instead of meeting it on its terms. No, I just think that my scale for grading it is really different. 
for me yeah. of course form is important right is it well made is it well written is it well acted like are all of the technical components there of course and that's what gets five out of ten but the rest of it is more subjective for me for me it's more subjective and it didn't i thought a lot during this film and that's great but there was still and maybe it is the universe is unfeeling and it's cold and whatever and like i i can appreciate a well-made thing but at the end of the day if i don't have some sort of visceral aesthetic emotional reaction to it that's not going to change just because i saw how well it was put together you did you felt i felt something isolated. when hal sang you, daisy you felt and that was isolated i didn't feel isolated like i felt nothing it was the absence of feeling the one time i that's really that's a feeling <laughs> The absence of feeling is a feeling. I feel absence and cold and dead inside. <laughs> I didn't feel cold and dead inside. I just didn't feel anything. I had zero. It was like an emotional flat line. The two blips for me, the first one was seeing the daughter. And the second one was the when Hal sang Daisy. And that's because the first one's because I'm baby crazy. The second one is, and it's, it's a reflection on me. The second one was because my dad and his barbershop quartet used to sing Daisy. So it made me think about that. And I had really bittersweet feelings about it in this I, context i really feel like you're missing the point it's not just form so like my question is what is the function what is this film trying to do or say or be and then how well does everything else serve that function i get it it it, it met it, it met the criteria for an effective film it, but it did not emotionally impact me except for those two scenes that's crazy like you have you right now are having too strong of a reaction to have not had a reaction to the film. Mm. I mean, I feel a little insecure that I'm the only one who didn't feel anything. You ha you felt something. I like I. That's I felt crazy. wow. These human gorilla humans in gorilla costumes are really amazing. I wonder who the movement director is. Like Jack that's the kind of like that was really neat. How did that? Wow, that was neat. That was neat. But I was never invested in like. And I I understand that like there are themes and there are motives and there are ideas there that are being developed. But it left me cold. It just, I didn't have a reaction to it. <laughs> I get where you're coming from. Yeah. Because I felt similarly when I first watched it. But it's cool, right? It's cool and effective. Six and a half. <laughs> <laughs> you're allowed to take whatever you want away from the film, right? That's the whole point. <laughs> and it could be nothing. Or it, it could, could be, be like, this movie wasn't for me, you know? I, I felt conflicted by it or, you know. I mean, I have no complaints about the film, right? The reason I gave I it an 8.7 is because of personal enjoyment, right? Because it's just a little tough to, to get through. Um, because I rate movies based off of personal enjoyment and entertainment for myself. Yeah, like it, Matt it, doesn't. He rates movies based off purely off of how they were made and like no, that's not true. The films themselves. I don't think, I don't think that's true. I've, no, I've given a lot of your ratings are technical based. No, I've given a lot of. There have been ones before where I've we've said, had like, this conversation this so many times. Yeah, T yeah the technical have. aspects of the movie inform his enjoyment of the movie, which is how he rates the movies. Correct, pure enjoyment, but. All the technical aspects go into that saying, equation. Well, maybe I just weigh it differently then, in that case. Badly. The, Incorrect. Badly. <laughs> We're allowed to rate movies however the fuck we want, Matt. Syndication with Matthew, watch and be judged. What? You're the one that attacked my rating first. You started this whole thing. Uh, I, I, well, I, I didn't attack it. I just felt I didn't marital, understand. I was reaching for bliss. understanding. I'm trying to and get interrupting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to sit back. That's true. I interrupted. Hey, what are we doing next week, Devin? I'm not picking. Yeah, you are. No, I'm not. I'm picking. What? Right? Again, your idea. <laughs> this was your idea. By the way, we just had this conversation like 10 minutes ago. Don't pretend that you know. Oh, I just found out. 
Because he was like, I'm prepared. I got the movie for next week. I went, yeah, cool. Yeah, I have a pick. And I was turning around like, what, you don't know that their guest is picking the next movie? Like, you didn't either, you jerk. No, no, no. I'm just backing <laughs> him up because Matt reminded me that you did say this. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You don't have to do my pick. It's okay. <laughs> no, we can do it. I didn't realize that was happening, but I'm totally cool. It doesn't matter. I wasn't picking it anyway, right? Like, All right, what are we watching? We're going to watch, in stark contrast to this week's film, Casablanca. Ooh. How's that stark contrast? Because it makes you feel shit. <laughs> How do you know? Because it's got that the fucking those two that those two. Was that I just can't quit. You know that's the wrong. <laughs> it's the it's the old movie equivalent of that line. Here's looking at you, kid. That's the one. Play it again, Sam. Play it again, Sam. That's right. Never said in the movie actually. That one just keeps. Oh really? Quoting that, yeah. It's, it's one of those it? weird misquotes. I have seen it. Um, it's one of those weird quotes that... No. Uh, no? Have you heard of it, Devin? Yeah. I've heard of this one. Haven't seen it. <laughs> do, you, do you know of like, that like scene without the airport? And, uh... Nope. Okay. I, I know the name <laughs> of the movie right. and that it exists, which is a step up for me. So, <laughs> World War II film, hmm? um, but no war- warfare really in Don't it. Don't tell me anything about it. I mean, that's pretty much all. He loves going in blind. Yeah. I thought that was just by default. <laughs> I didn't know you enjoyed it. Why is everyone I do picking enjoy. on Devin? <laughs> Actually, no, you've, you've said that before. Rude. But yeah, yeah okay. I've made a cool. case for it, even. Hmm? I've made a case for it. I think it's better. Space. Nah, no, I like going in blind, too, but then I like Space. researching the crap out of it after. After. Yeah. And then maybe watching it again. Space. Yeah. Space 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 Bye, everybody. Spoiler alert. I love this.